All right, let's open the word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We ask now as you go, we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I thank you for everyone who's here and those watching on live stream, none by chance, all by divine appointment. May we leave here knowing you better and loving you more. If we need to be exhorted, exhort us, rebuked, encouraged, strengthened. Lord, minister to every heart. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. So Nehemiah, we've talked about the fact that this is a book that people will look at when it comes to building anything, building a new ministry, building a church. Uh, Whenever people are, are, are starting to look at how to create a new ministry and how it should function, Nehemiah is kind of a roadmap for that. What's amazing about Nehemiah is Nehemiah is over a hundred years after, they, after uh, Zerubbabel and then later Ezra went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. Now we know that when they went back after 70 years of, in, in exile and bondage in Babylon, they were in bondage because they had been worshiping idols. They dishonored God. God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to take them captive. People like Daniel were a part of that. And so for 70 years, they were in bondage. It was Daniel who actually read it in the Bible, knowing or in Scripture, knowing that they were going to be let loose after 70 years. Daniel remained. We looked at that on Sunday. And so now they went back. And then finally, we see this man, Nehemiah, and he's a cupbearer. This guy's not a construction worker. He's not the guy you would probably pick to build walls around a city. But he was a man that had a burden. And if you'll know that cupbearer means that he had a lot of faith from the king. So the king, Cyrus, looked at, looked at him as a man he could put faith in, a man that he could trust. So what happened was, Nehemiah's brother comes back from a visit to Jerusalem. Now keep in mind, it's a thousand miles away. So this just doesn't happen all the time. So he gets word from his brother that the city is still in rubble. That even though they've been back there for a hundred years, that it, they haven't been rebuilt, the place is unsafe. And he's burned when he hears this to the point where he begins to mourn and weep. And finally, he goes to the king, and he's in the presence of the king. We saw this in chapter 2. And when he was in his presence, if you were in the presence of the king, and you were one of the people that served him, and you didn't have a joyful look, you could be executed. And especially if the guy who's testing your food doesn't have a joyful look, the king might be a little worried that somebody got to that guy. So He comes in and he sees how he looks, and Cyrus is like, what's wrong with you? And he basically says, look, I am grieved because the homeland of my father, where my ancestors are buried, is in rubble. Now, keep in mind that Cyrus had said before, he had found out that they were trying to rebuild. And he got word back, and he told them to stop. And he told them to stop. It's about 20 years before this. He said, you need to stop because if you guys rebuild then you're going to build your own army. You could be a threat to my kingdom. All the cities that are beyond the river, you'll take those over. You'll stop you know, giving t- taxes to me. And he made him stop. But now, because of the favor that Nehemiah has, he not only says, go back and rebuild it, but he sends all the lumber with them, sends back some people to go with them to help rebuild the city. So we saw Nehemiah come to the city. He's, he's heartbroken by what he sees. And the sad part is, again, in each of these peop- sets of people that were in Babylon, most of them have chosen to stay. And now it's no longer Babylon, it's Persia. The Medo-Persians have taken over. And now Nehemiah took that thousand mile trek, has gone back. Now, if you were here last week, I told you that several people told me before I taught chapter three, that how in the world are you going to teach a chapter that all it does is tell you the names of all the gates? 
Why don't we just read through that and skip over it? Well, guess what? If it's in the Bible, we don't skip over it because God put it in there for a reason. Amen? And if you were here last week, I, call, I tell the message, the gates of Jerusalem and the Christian life. And let me just go through the gates really quickly because they all point to Jesus. And this is the order when he talked about him. So the first one was the sheep gate. Well, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen? The sheep gate is where they brought the sheep in that were to be sacrificed. And again, it is the gate that Jesus would enter through. The next one is the fish gate. You know, having been born again, we are called to be fishers of men. So we give our life to Jesus, and now we're called to be fishers of men. The fish gate, because they were, you know, on the Mediterranean Sea, they also had the Sea of Galilee. It was through that gate where their, the fish were brought through into the city. Then you have the old gate. Jeremiah 6 says, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. The old way, again, if it's new, it's not true. And the old gate really points to the word of God, the truth that's found in the word of God. Then you have the valley gates. You have the sheep gate. He's the lamb of God. The fish gate, again, we're called to be fishers of men. The old gate speaks of the word of God. And then you have the valley gate. And the Bible says in Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And that's part of the Christian life as well, is that we, again, we're going to go through valleys in life. And the good news is we don't go through them alone because the Lord is with us. The fifth gate is called the refuse gate. And it's there that you know, a picture of our sin and our past being removed from us. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, he cleansed you. He washed away all the sin, past, present, and future, and all the, the stuff that was putting that flesh to death because we are all now new creations in Christ. Well, after that is the fountain gate. And we know that the fountain gate, again, in the word of God, what is water a picture of? Who is it a picture of? Holy Spirit. Fountains of rivers of living water flowing out of you on the world around you, the Holy Spirit upon you, again, in the life of a believer, the fountain gate. Then you have the water gate. And again, this is just talking about being cleansed daily, washing by the water of the word of God. Then we have the horse gate. And I love that, the horse gate. When Jesus Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation, what's he going to be riding on? A white horse. So we're going to be riding on horses with him. We're going to come back and rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Then you have the East Gate that speaks to the Battle of Armageddon. Um, it's interesting that East Gate, even now, I've been to Israel four times, and when you go, they show you all these, these Jews that are buried on the Eastern Gate, and they literally have their, you know, their coffins or whatever you would call them, above ground. Their sepulchers are above ground. And what they do is they put them in feet first because they want them, they believe that when the Messiah comes back, they'll be brought back to life and they want to sit up and look and see him going in through the Eastern gate. The problem is he already went through, but he's coming back and he's going to put his feet on the, on the um, Mount of Olives and split it in two and walk through the Eastern gate. Guys, this is all talking about Jesus. And keep in mind, this is in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before he came, guys, the Bible rocks. And then the last one is the Mikvah gate. And it's the one that speaks of the great white throne judgment. And guys, it all, and then it returns all the way back to the sheep gate. So it goes all the way around because it starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. Amen. So the Bible rocks. It's in there for a reason. So that was last week, uh, Nehemiah chapter three. Uh, if anybody wants a copy of that, I got one up here and you can grab it. All right. Now, Nehemiah four. So now they are building the wall. And when God is using you, we're going to see this in tonight's text, the enemy doesn't like it. And when God is doing a work in you and through you, the enemy will come after you. And so we're going to see that in tonight's text, that Nehemiah is going to start building the wall. 
And as the wall starts going up, the enemies, there's four nations that surround Jerusalem, all of which do not, uh, have want nothing to do with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They see them as an enemy. And we're going to see that as the gate starts to be built, they're going to start off by mocking them. And then they're going to threaten them. And then they're going to literally, uh, we're going to see the hand of God be upon them. So I tell them the message, the battle belongs to the Lord. Here are the seven points that we will see in tonight's text. First of all, the enemy will try to discourage you. The, again, he's angry when they're being used by the Lord. He will do all he can to discourage you, mock you, and ridicule you, to make you feel unworthy and capable of being used by God. How many of you feel unworthy and incapable of being used by God? That's the people God uses. Can I get an amen to that? God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And when we feel like I'm unworthy, I'm, I'm incapable, God will fill that gap. Amen? Number two, respond to the enemy's lies, attacks, and temptations by turning to the Lord in prayer. Nehemiah is going to be mocked. They're going to see them coming after them. And instead of even responding, he goes to the Lord. Satan is the father of lies. And as he is spewing his lies, you know what we need to do? Run to the truth. And Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. When you're being tempted, you have an opportunity to either listen to the enemy or forsake the enemy and turn to the Lord. Every time you're tempted, it's an opportunity to fall, but it's also an opportunity to grow. And we're going to see Nehemiah's response when being mocked by these surrounding nations and, be, and the discouragement that can come to them while they're trying to rebuild the wall as the enemy surrounds them. And he doesn't even address them initially. He just runs to the Lord. And guys, the Lord should be the first place we turn, not the last resort. Amen? Number, four, number three, if the enemy can't destroy you, he will distract you. If mocking and discouragement won't work, the enemy will turn up the physical threats. As believers, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And as believers, we have absolutely nothing to be afraid of. Fear comes from being, uh, forgetting who's in control, losing sight that God is on the throne. We become fearful and fear, anxiety, and worry. We all have those at moments, but walking in fear and anxiety and worry are all the opposite of faith. Because if God is in control, we have nothing to fear. If God is in control, we have nothing to be anxious about. If God is in control, we have nothing to worry about. Now, I'm not saying we don't have those at moments, but as believers, we should walk by faith and not in fear. Number four, may we not grow weary of well-doing. We're going to see, they're going to get halfway done with the wall, and then everybody's going to be exhausted. And you know, it's amazing. When you start out in ministry, a lot of times there's an excitement. We're starting a new ministry and everybody's excited and, you know, and, 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 and you know, like every, both times I planted a church. When you first plant a church, there's just a, a great amount of excitement that comes in. And, but here's the reality, you know, a year later, two years later, three years later, four years later, you're still, you know, studying 40 to 50 hours a week and counseling, all that stuff that you're doing. And in ministry, guys, it shouldn't just be a thing that we're excited about for a moment. When we're called by God, it's a get to, not a have to. And it should be something that we do for the rest of our lives and we should have a passion for it. Amen. And we're going to see these guys halfway through, they're going to get tired and the enemy's surrounding them and they're being threatened physically. And a lot of times we just want to quit and give up. We can tire of the day-to-day. -day. We can be fatigued and weary and attacks from the enemy and the world. Number five, remember the greatness of our God and what we are fighting for. Our God is greater than our enemy and he's in control. I love this. In this text, um, they're going to have, we're going to see this. They're going to have one hand on a trowel and the other hand on a sword. 
They're going to be building the wall and ready to fight off the enemy at the same time. And guys, that should be us. We should have the word of God in one hand and be busy about his work with the other one. Amen? And so we're going to see that picture. And I love, one of the things he does is he puts the guys right in front of their house. He has them work on the wall closest to their house. Now, why would he do that? If the enemy comes and the enemy wants to go through the wall, and if he makes it, he's going to get to your family. Do you think the guys might fight a little harder knowing that they're protecting their families? Amen? And we need to remember that we're standing for the things of God and what we're fighting for. And then it says, and in number six, keep working, sword in hand. Again, when the threats come, keep working. Remember the promises of God. And then finally, be ready for battle 24-7. The enemy loves to attack us when our guard is down. So let's begin there in Nehemiah chapter four, looking at the battle belongs to the Lord. And we're gonna see in chapters four, five, and six, we're gonna see six different tactics that the enemy uses to attack people that are being used by God. We'll see a couple of them tonight. We're going to see six of them in the next uh, three chapters. So the walls are an important part of of any cities. You know, our country, I don't know that right about now. But walls, what do they do? They keep us safe. They keep the enemy out. And and it gives you the ability to sleep at night because you have protection. And when you don't have a wall, you leave yourself wide open. You guys hear me say this all the time. The word of God it's not a fence to keep us out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep us from driving off a cliff. But the word of God is also a fence that protects us. As we walk in the word of God, it's going to protect us from the harm that will take place if we go outside of the word of God and if we walk in the things of the world. Proverbs 25, 28 says this, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like city broken down without walls. Literally, as believers, we should walk in self-control, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And a man who does not walk in the Spirit is like a man who lives in a place that has no walls. There's no protection. And again, we can see that the enemy can run right in. No walls, no control, no security, no boundaries, no peace. And in the next three chapters, we're going to see these six attempts from the enemy. We'll look at two of those tonight and four in the next couple of weeks. And so how he attacks the work of God the worker of God who seeks to do God's will. So in the next three chapters, we're going to see how the enemy attacks the work of God and the workers of God who seek to do God's will. Guys, we're all called to be servants. The kingdom of God should be growing and be strengthened by our existence. Let me say that one more time. The kingdom of God should be impacted by the fact that you're alive, that you live on this planet, that you're born again, God didn't save us so we could go sit on the sideline and watch everybody else work for the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be serving in a local church. You know, part of what you're called to do as Christians is raise kids in a Christian home and teach them the truth. Amen? You're called to be salt and light in your workplace. Wherever you go, the Holy Spirit enters the building. We're all called to have an impact on eternity. We don't come here just to, you know, be on cruise control until we get to heaven. Again, Christianity is not a cruise ship to heaven. It's a battleship anchored at the gates of hell. And God has given us gifts so we might use them for his glory. And not all the gifts, again, are used within the local church, but we all should be faithfully serving the Lord. So verse number one, they're looking at the enemy will try to discourage you. That's, I, you know what? I hope I make Satan angry every single day. I hope he's fuming when he hears my name. Can I get an amen to that? 
I want to live out loud for the Lord. We want to live in such a way that Satan, because he hates everyone, and I hope I'm on the top of his hate list, right? Because it just means if we're serving the Lord, he wants, he's angry, and he, wants, he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Notice the word indignant there means provoked to anger. So he's incensed, he's burning with anger, he's been provoked to anger. In chapter 2, we saw that Sanballat and Tobiah were deeply disturbed when they heard a man wanted to help the people of Israel, back in chapter 2, and they used scorn and intimidation to prevent the work from starting. And now that it's begun, they're getting even madder. See, before they started, they just mocked him. Oh, did you get the king's permission? Well, actually, yeah, he sent me here. And they're mocking them. They're going after them. They're like, you're really going to try and do that? That's never going to happen. You guys can't build it. They're going to mock him in the text tonight as well. So now that he's begun, they've become furious and indignant. And so in their anger, what tactic will they use? It says there they mocked the Jews. So the first tactic that the enemy will do is mock you. It's been said that a person will stand firm when shot at, at the same time might crumble when laughed at. There are people that are strong and are willing to fight a battle, and they're stronger when someone's taking a shot at them than when someone's making fun of them. I can tell you, I'm just being transparent. My son, Mark, I mean, if you guys met him, big guy and just a strong guy would just knock me silly if I I wrestled with my son. But for whatever reason, when he was young, he got made fun of a lot. And all the way up until he went to heaven, it bothered him. And for some people, being mocked is worse than being hit in the face. And so what's happening here is They're mocking these Jews. They're making fun of them. They're making light of them. And for a lot of people, that's worse than than getting in a fight. You know, again, the ridicule, the scorn, the mocking can take people out mentally. There's a lot of people that leave ministry because they just don't like... People talk about their family. People talk about them. People say things that that hurt them. And they're like, man, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore because people are ridiculing my family. I will say this. If you're going to be a pastor, you better have thick skin. You better be unoffendable, pretty much, because people have roast pastor every Sunday after church, okay? And it's okay, you know what I mean? We're not doing it for, we do it for the Lord and not for anybody else. But you know, if you're in ministry, there will be people that will question you and people that will go after you from time to time. Notice what it says about them. And he spoke before his brethren, the army of Samaria, he's a Samaritan governor, and he said, who are these feeble Jews? What are these feeble Jews doing? Feeble. Anybody think that's a compliment? Mocking their lack of strength and power, both as a nation and as individuals. Only a small portion of the Jews, again, had returned to Jerusalem, and they're mocking both their physical stature and also their number as a nation. Who are these feeble little Jews, and what are they doing? They're getting more anti-Semitic than that, right? And they're mocking them, and they see them as no threat, and they mock their lack of strength and power. And you know, when God calls us, it's almost always beyond our own natural abilities. These guys were outnumbered. These guys, I mean, Nehemiah, I, I guess if he did construction, it's nowhere in the Bible. He was the guy that, you know, tasted food. And now they're helping build a wall and they're looking at them and saying, look, these guys don't look like they have any strength. They don't have any, any real numbers. And these guys don't even know what they're doing. So they're mocking them. We're making fun of them. And as believers, we're going to step out into ministries. And if, whenever you step into a new ministry, you're out of your league. You've never done it before. So you know what that means? You've got to trust God. Amen? And that's a great place to be. 
The, the river Jordan didn't part till they put their feet in it. And when God calls us, it's almost always beyond our natural abilities because if it was within our own capabilities, we could take the credit. He takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So when he uses somebody that seems not to have the personality for it and he uses them anyway, it's amazing how God gets all the glory. And again, we know that it has to be the Lord because we can't do it ourselves. It says this in 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Often when we say we are called, people will say, you're going to do what? They'll question you. They'll doubt your ability. Why would, you, why would you quit a job making this amount of money to go into ministry making a third of what you used to make? What's wrong with you? How are you going to provide for your family? They will question you when someone wants to go on the mission field. They say the number one roadblock to Christian missionaries is Christian parents. They'd love for, to pay for someone else's kids to go to the mission field, but they don't want their kids going. And so here, you're going to be challenged when you step out in faith. And that's why you need to hear from God and not from men when you're called. Amen? When God calls you, I say this often, you've heard me say it, how do you know you're called? You can't do anything else. It'll keep you awake at night. It'll be something that becomes a passion and, a, and, a, and what your heart uh, leans toward all the time. You know, Satan has seen God use the weak to overcome the mighty. Uh, how about this 13-year-old shepherd boy? What was his name? David. He was the eighth son that they didn't even bring in when they said, when, when, Je when you know, Jesse, go get your sons. He didn't bring them in. He left them out in the field, right? They bring everyone else in and they're like, no, it's not him. It's not him. It's not him. It's not him. And they take this 13-year-old boy. He was out there worshiping the Lord and he's killing lions and bears with rocks and has no idea that when no one's watching, God's preparing him for when he fights Goliath when everyone's watching. And the same is true for us. God's doing a work in us when no one's watching, often so we can be used mightily by God. And so God will take the foolish things of the world. Because when David, if Saul had beaten Goliath, you'd have just said, because Saul was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was the biggest guy in all of Israel. And so it would have been easy to say, well, Saul's just a stud. You know, that guy's trained. When you got a kid with a slingshot and no armor fighting 11 foot 750, and he puts him down, and he says, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God who goes out and runs toward Goliath when everyone else is running away from him? See, God will take, why did he use David? Because David was available. Because David responded to the call of God when everyone else was shaking, David trusted in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Satan wants to stop you before you get started. You're not qualified. You don't know what you're doing. This is way above your ability. You know what? That's the person God will use. How many Christians have never been used in Christian service because they were mocked, questioned, or challenged before they even started? Mocked by their parents. Well, you need to get, no, you need to get a college degree, and then you need to get a good job, and then you need to buy a house, and then you need to raise your kids, and then you do this, and then maybe when you're done with all that, you can start doing ministry. Guys, ministry and serving the Lord, again, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? You get questioned by parents, questioned by family and friends, even other believers, but certainly also by the enemy. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. He's looking for availability. That's the greatest ability in the kingdom of God, is just being available. Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, use me. Verse, verse 2 there again, he says there, will 
they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they really finish this wall and reinstate the sacrificial system within the temple? Will they offer sacrifices to their God so he will help them build the temple? So they're mocking their faith and they're mocking their ability to do what God has called them to do. It's never going to happen. You'll never finish what you believe God has called you to do. And again, we will heal that from the world. Again, will you complete it in a day? Do they have any idea how long this is going to take? Do they have any idea what they're doing? When I planted a church in Santa Cruz, first of all, you ever heard the term Ichabod? Glory hath departed, right? And when I went to plant a church in Santa Cruz, people said, dude, really? Rob McCoy would not come to Santa Cruz. He came one time, got violently ill. I brought Joey Baran, the surfer, up. He came, he was in his hotel room, and he literally was violently ill and was, got cut, was covered with sores. And he said, I'm never going back there again. You're crazy, dude. And the reality is, if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? And somebody, and I said, hey, well, what better place to go than the darkest place around? Where does the light shine brightest? In darkness. Amen? And so the reality is, there's always going to be those who question you and say, well, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't do that. Well, God didn't call you, so don't worry about it. God called me, amen? And we need to have that same heart that the calling of God, when he places it upon your life, you, you hear the voice of God, you obey the voice of God, and do what God tells you to do. You're ill-equipped, you're overmatched, you're not sufficiently trained. Uh, building a great wall with a cupbearer for a foreman. Who in the world would have done that plan? Well, God did it, so God got the glory. Amen? This is not the guy you would pick. When God shows up, again, he gets the glory. Look at verse 3. Now, Tobiah, Tobiah uh, the Ammonite, was beside him and said, Whatever they build, if a fox goes up on it, it will break down. They'll break down their stone wall. How much does a fox weigh? Not much, like a little dog. I mean, they're just, they're not very big. And what they're saying is when they get done building that wall, a fox will step on it, and the whole thing will crumble because they don't know how to build anything. And they're mocking them and again, challenging them. And we should not be surprised when the world attacks us. The world can attack us all they want. It's okay. And so they're mocking them. What this is, is ridicule. Now, Tobiah's name, you know what's crazy? His name is, means Jehovah is God. Or Jehovah is good, excuse me. And he was supposed to be an ex-slave, but is now the governor of the Ammonites. And they're ridiculing him. You're not doing anything important. It's one of the enemy's lies. One of the ways that Satan will try to discourage us in our efforts to follow the Lord is to tell us that we're, what we're doing isn't important. It's not. Guys, if you're doing it for the Lord, it's important. Amen. If you can show up early to set up chairs for Jesus, it's important. Whatever we do for the Lord, again, may God get the glory and you will be rewarded in heaven. Sanballat and Tobiah sought to bring discouragement through criticism. And by the way, critics run with critics. People that are critical run together. Mocking because they had nothing truthful. to. You know why they criticize you? They got nothing truthful to say. When they have to try to discourage you, they don't have any answers. So they're going to try to mock you. If, if they don't have any way to refute what you're trying to say, I have this happen all the time when I'm witnessing to people. You start witnessing to them and they come across real strong, then you refute their argument and then they just kind of mumble and go, well, I, I got to get to lunch. And they leave. Why? Because they got nothing else to say. Or they'll say something, you know, crass on the way out because they've been defeated. 
So many professing believers spend much of their time sarcastically mocking and criticizing others. Guys, as believers, may we stop being critical of other believers. Amen? Even churches where we don't fully agree with them. Hey, look, as long as we agree on the salvific issues of who Jesus is, he came and suffered and died, we can disagree on secondary issues. We're all on the same team. We're all family. And we should be praying for each other, not criticizing each other. Amen? Let's not be critical. Let's, I'm trying to meet more pastors all the time because we're all on the same team. We can disagree on secondary stuff. We're all going to get to heaven and get some of our theology straightened out. Amen? So while doing little or nothing for the kingdom of God, they're being critical. I have some people that I know well, and they're always criticizing everybody. I'm like, when's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? When's the last time you did anything at church? Have you ever gone to church, put a chair? What are you doing for the kingdom of God? And they're criticizing. I said, those people are serving the Lord, and you're critical of them. You're doing nothing for the Lord. Stop it. Amen? Discouragement is such a powerful weapon because it comes close to the opposite of faith. Where faith believes God is love, its promises, its discouragement looks for and believes the worst and tends to almost forget about who God is and what he has promised to do. He will break down the stone wall. Talbaim, guess what? He says, he will break down their stone wall. Whose stone wall is it really? It's God's stone wall. He's going to break down their stone wall. You're not going to break down God's stone wall. God's going to build it. It's not coming down. And again, he didn't understand. It didn't belong to the people. It belonged to the Lord. So point number one there, the enemy will try to discourage you. He'll be critical of you. He will attack you. He will send people close to you in your life to, to be critical of you, to discourage you, to, t- to try to you know, say things to you that will cause you to be fearful of stepping out in faith. He just went straight to God. I don't need to talk to these knuckleheads. Let's just go talk to the Lord. And he went and he sought the Lord. Now notice his prayer's kind of harsh. You read the second half of his prayer there? Prayer for Nehemiah was, again, the first resource, not the last resort. And when times of opposition came, God wants us to rely on him. And the purest way of of expressing our reliance is through prayer. So best to talk to God before we talk to men. Too too often we talk to men when we should have talked to God first, and then we we messed up, and then we have to go talk to God to try to fix what we did. Let's talk to God before we talk to men. Let's seek the Lord first, and then ask ask him to fill us with the Holy Spirit and use us to talk to men. So he tells them to turn their reproach on their own heads. He's asking God to fight their enemies for them. You know who's the best one to defend you? God. Let the Lord defend you. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Look, this is true of all of us, but it's really true of guys. You know, guys, you know, we don't like when people insult us and, and we can get our flesh stirred up and we want to defend ourselves sometimes. And we can get, you know, testosterone. It's the thing, okay? You know, oh, yeah, don't talk to me. Like, who do you think you're talking to? That mentality. And that's, that's the flesh. You know what we need to do? Give it to the Lord. Pray for them. Amen? So Nehemiah had heard the lies. He responds by turning to the Lord. And Nehemiah then asked God to fight their enemies for them. He depended on God to fight the battle. He says, they have provoked you to anger. Now, I love this. They were mocking the Jews... And he says, they've provoked you to anger, God. You know why? When you go after God's people, you're provoking God to anger. Amen? When you mess with God's kids, he doesn't like it. And so he says there, you've provoked God to anger 
by going after his people. He recognized it was God's cause, not his own. By coming against his people, they'd come against God. So point number two there, what do we do? Again, the battle belongs to the Lord. Respond to the enemy's lies, attacks, and temptations by turning to the Lord in prayer. He's the truth. So we're going to see in a minute, part of what they had to do was not just build the wall, but clean out all the rubble. They had to get the rubble out of the way. Now, look, I, I did construction with my brother. I did construction with a buddy of mine, uh, his dad. My, bro, my, son, my brother did uh, concrete, where a lot of times I was dig, digging footings all day and helping pour concrete. And I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, you're done. You don't want to do anything. You're sore. You're broken. These guys are building a wall where literally they have to remove the old wall first with a bunch of burnt stones and set them aside and then come back and build. And we don't know that any of these guys are really builders. No doubt, no doubt a few of them probably were, but they're doing something that's exhausting. And the blessing is when you start to see it coming together. And notice here now it's about halfway done. They're seeing the walls about halfway done. By the way, if, you, if we ever do get to go back to Israel... Um, a portion of Nehemiah's wall is there. And it's very, very wide. It's called the broad, you know, it's a broad wall, the broad gate. It's very wide. And there's part of it that's still there from these guys all the way back here. So, you know, 2,700 years ago. And so here they, here they, they, they're building this wall and it's hard work. And guys, when we serve the Lord, it should be hard work. The Bible says, even for a pastor, to study, it says to some Christians, study to show yourself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And the word where it talks about study to church, it talks about working to the point of exhaustion. When was the last time you studied the word of God so hard you were exhausted when you were done? You're exhausted from watching 87 shows in a row on Netflix, but you don't do that with the word of God. And we need to study the word of God, and it needs to be something that we do and take seriously. So they built it to half its height, for the, but it says because the people had a mind to work. See, the reason that God's work was getting done is that there were people that were responding to be a part of God's work. God could do it without us if he wanted to, but he chooses to use us. And if you don't use your gift, if you sit back on your hands, if you're not being proactive in what God's calling you to do, then you're going to miss out on God's highest and someone else is going to have to fill that gap, and it may not happen the way that it could have had you been a part of it. While mocking can be hurtful, it must not keep us from doing the work. They had been mocked, but they kept working. They were made fun of, they kept working. They're going to be threatened now physically, and they're not going to stop working. Guys, you, you can threaten a, a believer, but a believer doesn't care about the threat because we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And I'm not called to make men happy. I'm called to be faithful to Almighty God. While the immediate answer to his prayer did not change the enemies, the prayer was answered by the people of God doing the work. He prayed, Lord, smoke these guys. That's Pastor Day paraphrase. But he says, just put, to put it on them, Lord. You know, just stick it to them. And instead, he stirred the people up to work while they were still being mocked. Guys, we need to stand for the Lord even when the world is mocking us. Nehemiah's prayer asked him to take care of the enemy. God answered by taking care of his people. Work half finished, an exciting, a dangerous time. Much done, much left to do. They need to finish strong. Look at what it says in verse 7. It says there, now it happened when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, so you've got four nations there, because the Samaritans is Sanballat, Tobiah is the Ammonites, then you have the Arabs and the Ashdodites, 
heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they became very angry. Now again, every time you see people of God being used mightily by God to bring about God's will, the enemy is going to be angry. Do you not see what's going on in our country right now? And can't you, t- who are the most, the most hated people? Who can you mock openly and nobody cares? It's the Christians. You never hear anybody say, swear to Buddha. Nobody says, Hare Krishna. Nobody swears about Muhammad. They mock the Christians. And you know what? They just think Christians will lay back and take it. So they just keep running over the top of believers. And you know what? They're taking away everything that's godly. They mock everything that's godly. Did you ever think that you would live in our country where people think it's okay to have uh, cross-dressed people that need Jesus, right? Teaching children and the word of God taken out of the schools? Do we wonder, do we have any wonder why the kids are coming out of school are confused? They don't even know what the genders are anymore. This is what happens when the word of God is removed and the word of the world is taken its place. And here, this is what happens. If you're a Christian and you stand for God, you're going to face attacks from the world. We faced them during COVID. Amen? I had other pastors calling me, what's wrong with you? You need to obey the laws of the land, Romans 13. Until they tell us to disobey God, and then we don't obey the laws of the man. Amen? It's who they are, and they're being mocked. Yet they keep working because they're doing it for the Lord, and they don't fear men. So they heard the walls of Jerusalem. They're getting very angry. Uh, the, you know, the enemy doesn't want you to grow stronger. The enemy has one goal for you as a Christian, to make you stop being useful to the Lord. He wants you to be ineffective. He wants you to sit back on the sofa at home and just wait till you go to heaven. He wants you to to not use your gifts. He wants you to have no impact on eternity. He wants you to keep your faith to yourself. That's when the enemy wins. He doesn't want you building walls of self-control in your life. He wants you to stop. He wants uh, he wants you to doesn't want you to stop and hinder his work. If the enemy can't destroy you, he will do everything he can to distract you. The enemy is angry when you are being used mightily by God. Verse eight. It says that all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So there's four nations, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, and the Samaritans. Those are the four nations that surrounded Jerusalem at the time. So there's nothing new under the sun. Jerusalem's surrounded by their enemies. It's the same today. And so they're surrounding them. They see the wall start being built and they're going to... Now, you know what's amazing? These guys are all enemies. But you know what happens? The enemies will come together to fight God's people. You'll have people that agree with nothing except for their hatred for Christians. And here that's is what's taking place. And they're mounting up this army. And again, the Jews are outnumbered. They're outmanned. And I'm sure they don't have as many weapons as the enemy does. And here they are, and they're building a wall. And in the meantime, they're being threatened by everyone around them. It would be so easy to say, God, what, do you, what are you doing? It'd be so easy to say, I'm out of here. I'm not sticking around for this. I'm, we're outnumbered. Well, again, it's when we're outnumbered that we get to see God work. Four nations that surrounded Jerusalem, the enemy's first tactic was mocking. That didn't work. So their second tactic is a physical threat. God's enemies working together, a serious threat to be surrounded by enemies, to do physical harm. So how's Nehemiah going to respond to this one? What's he going to do? Hey, we're being surrounded. Hey, I've got these guys. They've been working hard. They're becoming fatigued. Now they're being fearful because the enemy's surrounding us. Maybe they're going to, maybe they're going to want to quit working. Maybe they're going to be afraid. How does Nehemiah respond? Look at verse 9. It says there, 
Nevertheless, we made our what? Our prayer to, God, to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So they are threatened. So what, is he, so what did he do the first time? They were mocked. He prayed. They're being physically threatened. He prayed. When, you're, when, when the enemy's coming against you, run to the Lord. Go to the Lord. Seek direction from the Lord. Cry out to Almighty God. He's the creator of all things. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Again, nothing would make them stop depending on God. God allowed the attack to go on, even though he could have wiped it out in a second. God allowed it to go on because it drew his people closer to him with a deeper trust than before. Guys, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And it's a testing of our faith. It's the trials of life that draws closer to the Lord. Because it's when we're in the trials that we're the most desperate for God. It's when we pray the most. It's when we cry out the most. It's when we're desperate. And guys, that's the best place to be. It's to be desperate for God. Because that's a man or a woman that God can use. God was doing his perfect work in both building up the walls and his people. No suffering is wasted. Everybody in the Bible used mightily suffered greatly. Notice it said we set a watch. Prayer didn't mean that they were to do nothing. Well, I prayed about it, now I'm going to do nothing. I told God and I'm leaving it up to him. Now, yes, we can leave things in God's hands, but when we pray, we need to also obey. Amen? So when we pray, and they prayed and said, Lord, here's what's happening. But notice what they did. In their, through their prayer life, they recognize we need to set up a, a watch for when these guys come. We need to be let, let everybody know that they're coming to attack us. So yes, they prayed, but they also stepped out in faith, and they're also being obedient to take action. And as believers, too often people say, well, I prayed about it. I said, well, then what did you do about it after that? What did you do about it? Well, I've been praying that, that my next door neighbor would get saved. I've been praying for 10 years. Have you told him about Jesus once? Uh, uh, no, I haven't even met him yet. You know, I haven't, I'm not knocked on his door. I, I, I avoid him when he's at the mailbox. Guys, if we pray, it ought to produce an action. Amen? So they prayed, and now they set a watch. Now they're ready for the enemy when he attacks. Our prayers do not replace our actions. They make our actions effective for God's work. Notice that they uh, set a watch, and they did it day and night. They made whatever sacrifices were necessary for God's work. You know, weary days and sleepless nights. They made sure they were always ready to be used for the Lord. Guys, we should be in a position where we're always ready to be used by God. It shouldn't surprise us, right? We should be praying for divine appointments and be ready when they take place. And I just love they made whatever sacrifices were necessary for God's work. I, I'm going to encourage you with this. If you're going to serve the Lord, it's going to cost you something. King David said, I will not make a sacrifice that costs me nothing. So if you're going to serve the Lord, you might have to give up some sleep. You might have to give up a hobby. You might have to invest some of your own time and resources. You might have to turn down that promotion at work that would double your hours so you can do things for the kingdom of God. Again, a man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, if we want to invest in something that's eternal as opposed to something that is temporal. And so they were going to stay up all night. We're going to see later they're going to sleep on their clothes. They're going to sleep ready to go to battle because they know they have to be prepared at any moment to be used by God. So point number three there, if, if the enemy doesn't destroy you, he will try to distract you. Number four, may we not grow weary in well-doing. Look at verse 10. It says there, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there's so much rubbish, we're not able to build the wall. 
So the challenges that take place can come from inside and they can come from outside. And so sometimes the challenges take place because people around us that should be serving alongside us are discouraged and they might start to become negative. Remember when they went into the land of promise, right? They traveled through the wilderness, right? God delivers them out of bondage, Passover, cross over the Red Sea. They get to the Jordan. They go in to spy out the land. They send in the spies. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, come back and say, it's just what God said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, it's, it's amazing. We're going to go in and crush them. And the other, and the other 10 spies, what did they say? Oh, they're going to kill us. They're going to crush us like grasshoppers. We can't do it. Oh, no, we're doomed. It'll never work. Oh, no. You know, Eeyore, right? That whole mentality, right? And, and guess what? They listened to the 10 faithless. What happened? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and an entire generation dropped dead. Why? Because they would not heed the word of God and they listened to the people that from on the inside, you know, were critical and negative and didn't trust in the word of God. And so it's starting to take place because some of the people on the wall, they're tired and they're starting to murmur and they're starting to complain. And you know what? The attacks on the inside sometimes are worse than the ones from the outside because they want from, ones from the inside are from the people that are supposed to be working alongside you. And if you listen to them long enough, you can become negative just like they are. My job I had for 35 years, I was in sales and salespeople whine. Because they changed the commission plan. Oh, they changed the commission plan. Man, we'll see what they did. And they're just always, and you know, you got a big sale because you're lucky or what? Just stop it. And they just moan and complain all the time. And whenever I'd get a new boss, I'd always tell them, I promise you before Almighty God, I will never complain. I will never murmur. If you ask me to do anything in a sales meeting, I will do it. If you need someone to get up in front of everybody and say something, I will do it. If you need someone to do a project, I will do it. If you get a new rep and you want them to ride with somebody, I will do it. And I'm going to do it because I want to honor the Lord. And in honoring the Lord, I'm going to honor you. And as believers, when you say that, now you got to do it. <laughs> Amen. And so these guys are working hard and they've been working hard, but now they're getting tired. And now they kind of had enough. And now they're becoming fatigued. And the strength of the laborers, it says, is failing. The halfway point mentioned in verse six is a dangerous place. Much remains to be done, but fatigue sets in because you've already done so much. And sometimes we'll do that in ministry. Well, I've already been serving in this ministry for a year. How much longer do I have to do this? By the way, if that's your heart, please get out. Because we don't want anybody serving in a ministry they don't want to do. Amen? It should be get to. So the strength of the laborers is failing. They're becoming fatigued. And it's not enough just to begin well. It's not, a just, it's not enough to finish the first half only to lose in the final minutes like my Niners on Sunday, right? It's not enough to stay ahead. We got to finish. Can I get an amen to that? Up by 10 points, lost the game. So here's the point. It's the same thing that's happening true here. If they built, the, they built the wall halfway up, but if they quit now, it's going to come down again. The enemy's going to come again and again. We need not to just start well, but to finish strong. Notice they say there's so much rubbish. The work of rebuilding the walls is not only construction, again, but cleaning out the rubbish. Who wants to clean out rubbish? Nobody. Clearing out the rubbish was not an option. Uh, not only construction, but clearing away a hundred years of rubbish. And, and again, it's backbreaking work. And the only reason you can have joy in the midst of that is if you're doing it for the Lord. If you're doing it for anyone else, you'll lose your joy. In our Christian life, 
not, not, not much can be built, uh, nothing much can be built for God's glory unless the rubbish is swept away first. Amen? Even in our own walk, the rubbish needs to be swept away so that we might be usable for the kingdom of God. They had to sweep the rubbish away before they could build the wall. Taking out the garbage can be discouraging work, but it must be done. Both growing spiritually and putting the flesh to death. The wall can't be built until the rubbish is hauled away. Verse 11, the challenge from the outside. So they had murmuring from the inside. Now look at verse 11. And our adversaries, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So their adversaries are saying, we're all going to gang up on them and we're going to surprise them. We're going to kill them all. And then it's all going to stop. So you have some people that are fatigued and want to quit, and now you have the threat coming from the outside that might make everyone else want to quit. The enemy is planning a surprise attack, and that's what the enemy often does with us. He will find you at your weakest moment. He knows when you're open to the greatest temptation. By the way, you know when we are tempted the most? When we're alone. Amen? And that's when he comes after us. So point in verse 12 there says, So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us 10 times, for whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. So there were some of the Jews that lived amongst the Ammonites, lived up because they had been there for a hundred years and Jerusalem was rubble. So many of them were living amongst these other four nations and they were hearing them talk about attacking the Jews. So these Jewish people would come and tell them, hey, they're going to come and attack you guys. They're coming for you. So they were being given a warning from these other believers. And it says they told them 10 times, they're coming. Now, you've been told 10 times, you might run away. You might want to quit. But you know what? We want to honor the Lord and we need to trust. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we're going to remember the name of the Lord our God. Amen. Some trust in their army, but again, they've been warned and they're going to continue to do the work and trust in the Lord. Point number five, remember the greatness of our God and what we are fighting for. Look what it says in verse 13. It says, therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families. Here's what he did. So they knew that the attack was coming. And so what they did is they would take the men and put them at the lower parts of the wall. Some of the parts of the wall have been built higher. Where are you going to attack? You're going to go where the lowest points are because you can get over that wall easier. And so what they did is they took men and had them standing there armored up. But notice it says they put them where their families were. So they knew that this man, this man standing here with a sword in his hand, ready to fight, knows that if they get through him, they're going to get to his wife and children. I'll tell you what, that'll make every man uh, like Hercules, right? If you're coming after my family, you're going to see. If Mike Tyson attacked my wife, I'm going to blows with Mike Tyson. I'll get knocked out in Jesus' name, but I'm going down swinging. Amen? Anybody comes after me, I don't care who it is. If a lion comes out, I'm, I'm going to fight a lion. Why? And so this is wisdom. You're sta- stand right here. That's where your family lives right there. Just stand right here. Okay, dude, bring it, right? So these guys are ready to, to fight. They're ready to take a stand. And again, they set them by the lower places in the wall. You know, he could have done several things. Nehemiah could have just done nothing. Well, we prayed about it. Just leave it up in God's hands. Didn't do that. He could have panicked. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? No, he has a plan. Guys, when we pray, when we seek the Lord, God will give us a plan. He'll give us some direction. And this is wisdom. They've got the guys by the lowest parts of the wall. They're armed up and they're ready to go. Verse 14 says there that, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the leaders, 
to the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord is great and awesome and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Man, I love this. He says, remember the Lord great and awesome. You know that word awesome gets thrown around a lot? Only one person deserves awesome. And that's almighty God. There's nothing else awesome comparing to him. So he says, don't be afraid, guys. Hey, don't be afraid of them. God's on our side. Remember how great our God is. There's nothing compared to God. We don't have to be afraid. Oh, by the way, remember who you're fighting for, your wife and your children and your house. It's a good word. Amen? Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Verse 15. Point number six. Keep working, sword in hand. Look what it says here. And it happened when our enemy heard that it was known to us and that God brought their plot to nothing, all of them returned to the wall, everyone to his work. The enemy heard that they knew that they were going to sneak attack. And then they saw the guys were ready to fight and the enemy backed off. Guys, our God can make him back off or our God can defeat him in the battle. But in either case, God's in control. And that's exactly what God does here. When our enemies heard it, they made it known to us that God had brought the plot to nothing. Man, I love it when God shows up and even the enemy recognizes, man, their God is God and we got to back off. They all returned to the wall, everyone to their work. See, the victory wasn't that they defeated the enemy. The victory was that they continued to do God's work. And guys, the victory for us should be that we continue to do the work of God, that we continue to be faithful to the call of God that he has placed upon our lives. Look at verse 16. And it says there, so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked on construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the, and the, and the war armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens, loading themselves up so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. Man, I love that. So they had some guys that were just ready to fight and the other half, they got a sword in this hand and a trowel in this hand. They're ready to go. They're ready to fight the battle. And that's for us too. You know, the sword and the word of God speaks of what? The Bible, the Word of God, it's the offensive weapon. And as believers, as we go out and do the work for the Lord, we should always have the Word of God in our hand as well. Because whatever we're doing for the Lord should be done in light of God's Word. And if we're going to minister to other people, we should be able to be, be doing it through God's Word. Amen? So this should never leave our hands. Man, this should be stuck to our hands. This is, this is with us always. Hide God's Word in your heart so you might not sin against Him. The Word of God speaks of Again, the sword speaks of the word of God. It says, every one of the builders had his sword girded to at his side as he built. And one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So literally what he's saying is they had a sword stuck here while they were working and they were ready at any moment to pull that sword out and to go to battle. And guys, we're going to fight spiritual battles all the time. We need to be ready for the spiritual battles. We need to be ready for the divine appointments to come our way. Be ready to take the word of God and speak into somebody's life. Be able to encourage them in their relationship with the Lord. The trial was for work. The sword was for the word of God. Let's finish up with the last point. Ready for battle 24-7. Then I said to the nobles and the rulers and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive. We're separated far from one another on the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So as they're working, they're getting, you know, it's a big wall and they've got gaps between them. So what do they do? They would blow the trumpet. And in the Bible, the sound of the trumpet is the beginning of war. It's a call to war. And so they were going to be ready when the trumpet blew to stop, that the work stops 
And now they go fight the battle. Guess what? There's a trumpet coming. And we're going to stop the work. We're going to be in the presence of Almighty God. And then seven years later, we're going to return with him and rule and reign with him for a thousand years. God will fight for Our God will fight for us. Do you know our God will fight for you? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? And even when he says no, we need to trust him. Verse 21, so we labored in the work. Half the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars disappeared. Man, I, until the stars appeared. These guys would stand there all day long holding the sword ready to battle. Guys, we need to be ready day and night. Verse 22, at the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be ready, be our guard by night and working party by the day. This was a serious calling. These guys would work all day and then sleep where they worked so they could be ready to fight the battle. So they're troweling all day, putting bricks on tops of bricks, hauling away, you know, the burnt stones, and then they're sleeping in their clothes, ready for the battle if it takes place. These guys are called. These guys are faithful. And it's because of their faithfulness that the wall is going to be built. And so neither I, my brethren, verse 23, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. I love that, that that's in the Bible. These guys stink it for Jesus. You know what I mean? They're, they literally are so fully in to serving God that they're not worried about anything else, the stuff that the world worries about. They're being faithful to the Lord. They kept their clothes on. They did not want to be caught unprepared. They were always ready to respond to the blast of the trumpet. Guys, my prayer for us is that we would be ready to respond when God calls us. Amen? So the battle belongs to the Lord. The enemy's going to try to discourage you. Some of you may have even thought about doing ministry, and then you think about it, you go home and go, I don't think, I don't know, that might be out of my comfort zone. I hope it is out of your comfort zone. Then God will use you. Amen? Respond to the enemy's lies, attacks, and temptations by turning to the Lord in prayer. We're all going to be tempted tomorrow. We're all going to go through trials. Let's not listen to the enemy. Let's run to the Lord. If the enemy can't destroy you, he will try to distract you. Guys, we don't want to have saved souls and wasted lives. We don't want to be people that live you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years on this planet and do nothing for the kingdom of God. May we not grow weary and well-doing. Yeah, we're going to get tired sometimes, physically tired sometimes. But you know what? The Lord is the one that will sustain us. If God calls you, he'll sustain you. And it will be a get to, not a have to. Number five, remember the greatness of our God and what we're fighting for. You know what we're fighting for? People's lives. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And we want to see people saved. Amen? Keep working sword in hand. Have the word of God be ready to be used for the kingdom of God and be ready for battle 24-7. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. Thank you for everyone's attention tonight. And Lord, I pray that we will learn from this text tonight. The Lord, as you call us, you will sustain us. The Lord, as you call us, you will protect us. That the battle belongs to the Lord. That you're in charge. You're a faithful God. Help us, Lord, when temptation comes to run to you and not listen to the enemy. Help us when the enemy attacks to rest in you and know that you're in control and you're a faithful God. And Lord, I pray for all of us. Stir up the gifts you've given us. May we not sit on the sideline, but may we be busy about your work. Lord, when you return for us, I pray you find us busy. May we finish strong for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said...